With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hope you guys are enjoying the TV season. We are midway through the new content right yeah, yeah. now, and Todd is just about to fall over the finish line. Well, he kind of did with the did. C8 it did. versus C7 piece, which I'm thrilled yes, to say is coming. It's, it's very fun. Just seeing the cars from the rear shot, you can see the changes. You can just look yeah, yeah. and see at the yeah, proportional yeah. changes. Really cool. So coming Saturday, August 15th, 2020, is Step Brothers, the Toyota 86 and the Toyota Supra, that both a, on camera together. Yes, it's a very cool piece. We're, we're intending to also take that piece to YouTube before too long, as we promised it for YouTube originally, and then we kind of pivoted and went toward let's make it TV while we're here. So it's going to be both places within a very short period of time, but it is premiering on TV first this coming Saturday. Also, thank you to all of you that watched the Denver Four Sedans piece. We got some yeah. really nice emails and questions today about that. We got a lot of questions coming up in this podcast. There is so much happening here. This week, we have I our know. Salt Flats piece coming out on YouTube. Oh, yes, right. Which is going to be, uh, honestly, right. it's crazy to see those things out there. <laughs> the expanse and everything. It's it's nuts. I've been working on that piece. That's crazy fun. And and let's be honest, it's also absurd. It's, it's absurd. a really absurd piece. The, so we're well, looking forward to sharing thing, that. The whole experience is not just driving the cars fast. Because yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. Bonneville Speed Week is going on. Uh-huh, yeah. And you know we're hearing about incredible speeds. You pretty mm-hmm. much need to start at 200 and go up from there if yes, you're not exactly. going to get laughed off the face of the planet. We did none of that, but we did drive the cars little there. Cute car, you mm-hmm. know. So, you know, we drove fast, as fast as the cars allowed us, mm-hmm. and so that will be in the piece. But just the whole experience of where the asphalt ends at the cul-de-sac, mm-hmm. yeah. And you can yeah, find yeah. this on Google Earth. Totally, you can, yeah. And you can just drive out in any direction. Mm-hmm. There's nobody there. That you just. You know, when Speed Week isn't going on, but yeah, yeah. you just drive in any direction for miles. Here's here's my question it's for all of the weirdest people. weirdest feeling. It is very odd. All of the people currently throwing down at Speed Week, here's my question. Did any of you drive your car there and drive <laughs> and it home? Drive it back home. No, you brought it in on a trailer. It was specially cleaned and yeah. purposed. But I, we drove our ridiculous sedans <laughs> to the salt flats, onto the salt flats, ran high-speed runs, and then drove them home. There needs to be a category for there that. There should be a category for that. That's a good idea. It should, it should be the garage category. You, yeah, you, you yeah. brought it out of your garage. You drove it here today. You did the run, You're and you drove it home. You're willing to drive it in the salt because yes. the cars will never be the same. They will never be They're quite the same. They're still crystallized yeah. volcanic chunks of salt still falling off the Maserati. Yeah. I got it good. I, I washed it good, mm-hmm. but I'm still finding little nooks and crannies. I'm like, oh, <laughs> digging that little chunk of volcanic yeah. ash out of it's, there. It's awesome. I still need to clean the floor mats because they're still shocking in the Phaeton. But but it is running well, honestly. The Phaeton's running great, which is cool. <laughs> and and I, I will also say this. I I don't want to share too many things about this piece because it is coming Thursday. But the fact that we drove both cars home, this is my big thing. Drove them out there, did as fast as they would go, and promptly drove them home. Yeah. I'm still pretty proud of that. And they are still driving. so that They so didn't that, need a tow. Exactly. So that you guys will be able to, quote unquote, win one. I use that in air quotes because is it a win? It is kind of. It's but, more like uh, a salt lick on wheels now with well, either a Maserati or a Phaeton badge. It's sort of. It's a little better than that, but I take your point. Summer is finally here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. You know, the leather seats that you thought were a great idea until you scald your legs. Luckily, all you need is a custom sunscreen from our friends at Covercraft. They're awesome. They're amazing. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car and keep your car cooler when you're off enjoying the sunshine. These custom sunscreens come in a variety of colors, and they're an affordable and simple way to keep your car cooler in the summer and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens. I I love it. It's one of our very favorite car accessories. Remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com. Or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. We have a very cool podcast coming up. We have a guest coming up in a few, and we have many, many of your questions. Yeah, this is great. For Topic Tuesday, we are excited to host Brian Gidinelli, who is not just a racer, but he's the founder of MotorsportReg.com, and he's now the managing director of Haggerty Motorsports. And by the way, Brian is known for his feat video of a near-record-setting lap of Laguna Seca. He also founded the Race Hero app and also Speedwaver.com, so we're giving him a call to talk to him about Motorsport Reg. We're giving him a call right now. This is Brian. 
Brian, hey, it's Paul. You got both of us on, both Todd and Paul. How are you? Yeah, how are you, sir? Hey, good, guys. How you doing? Hey, we're great. We're excited to have you on. It's going to be great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah likewise. Well, I just figured we'd dive right in because we've got so much to talk about. We just want to hear from you about Motorsport Reg because I think the audience has used it before without really knowing it's a part of Haggerty. Mm-hmm. And we didn't realize it was a part of Haggerty until we partnered with you with Haggerty. So start kind of at the beginning, give yeah, us a yeah. little bit of buildup from MS Reg, from a hobby, you know, where you started it and found it. I read a little bit about that to where it is now and, you know, what you're seeing. And I, you know, spoiler alert, I, I have seen here on your profile that you're looking to create a movement of 6 million enthusiasts by 2025. That's pretty astounding. Anyway, but I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, well, you're not wrong as far as the backstory. You know, we're only with Haggerty now for about uh, 15 months. So okay. I can kind of catch you up on, on what happened before that. Um, I started a web development company sort of around the dot-com days, uh, and I leased a BMW. So this is about 2000. Uh, and in the glove box of that BMW was a brochure for the BMW Car Club. Mm. And so long story short, I started volunteering. I went to some track days. Basically, I was going more than I could afford. Uh, and so the way to get around that was you volunteer. And if you volunteer and you do some uh, lake work, then you get to go to the track days for free. So from that, you know, sort of pairing my background in software development, uh, built a real small prototype around 2002, 2003. And then over time, that just sort of organically turned into um, eventually what it what it became. Um, in 2006 and seven, my, my then girlfriend, but now wife, Jennifer, we put everything in storage and we went traveling for seven months Wow! and it was a, you know, sort of life changing, phenomenal, uh, opportunity. And, and when we came back from that, we had the opportunity to say like, what do we want to do? Hmm. And so at the time she had a uh, finance career in Silicon Valley and was making great money and very, very, very graciously. She said, Hey, if you want to take a shot at turning this into a business, you know, we can, we can live off of my income and you can kind of take a shot at that. So very that does, cool. doesn't happen very often. That's very you know, nice. We, I like have, that. Yeah. Part Blanche to be able to do that. That's great. Yeah, she's like she's my seed investor, basically. So there you uh, go. Yeah, nice. You know, no no VC, but definitely an important seed investor. Absolutely nice. So over the last decade, we've just sort of grown it from that uh, bootstrapped 100 uh, percent and turned it into the point where Haggerty decided to reach out to us. And initially, we were having a conversation just about uh, track day insurance, but that mm-hmm. ultimately is what led us to have the the deeper conversation uh, and the acquisition for joining to, as you mentioned, uh, pursue this this sort of grand mission to promote car culture and keep it alive for future generations. And the goal there is to make sure we've got a, a movement of people who have that same that same care. That's awesome. I mean, I've I've used Motorsport Reg for over a decade for various. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't do a ton of track days, but anytime I ever had one, it was like, well, you got to go here, you got to use it's this. The go to portal. Absolutely, you would think so. So so then to have it with Haggerty makes all kinds of sense. And and I didn't know it was even fifteen as recent as 15 months ago, that's actually really cool. And that I'm sure has helped you a little bit of a sigh of relief of giving you an infrastructure to, to chase the grander goals. Yeah. I mean, for better or worse, um, I'm probably a stubborn person. So, you know, I, I worked at this thing for about 15 years, uh, sometimes nights and weekends, sometimes as a full-time gig, but my belief in general is I could keep hustling. Uh, and if you're persistent, like I think persistence is one of the most underrated uh, traits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you guys just had your 500, 500th podcast, right? So obviously, yeah. if you make a commitment to things like good things come around. So we we had hustled for a long time, you know, sort of scrappy and lean and bootstrapped. And what I realized is like, if we wanted to really take this to the next level and, and help more people operate and, and run great events, run great organizations, we're going to have to do something bigger than just bootstrap. And so that was either mm-hmm. go and find some funding, find a partner, you know, do something strategic. And I think the timing was just, I don't want to say luck per se, like we put ourselves in a good, a good position, but talking to Haggerty and thinking about their vision for the future and how that sort of overlapped with our vision, it really became obvious that there was a, a one plus one is equal to three or four or five mm-hmm. when you, when you combine their brand, their resources, their leadership, their relationships with all the things that we're doing. I really knew that there was something special that we could do there. Well, it seemed a natural fit to us too, you know, yeah. finding that out and then, you know, looking more into it and then realizing, hey, we're already users and for sure, already yeah. get logins ourselves. So it's just made it a natural fit. But just touching on growth, as you had said, is this really in the US? Is it just for North America? We've got a worldwide listening audience for the podcast all around the world who are enthusiasts and track drivers 
big shout out to our friends in Canada and Australia and Germany and England and mm-hmm. Norway and just people writing to us mm-hmm. All from place, everywhere. Yeah. And so what are your plans? How does that fit in? Where do you see things? Well, personally, I'm a big traveler. So if we could be in a, a, you know, 180 countries, we would be there tomorrow. Uh, international growth is definitely a big part of our future plans. And I think Haggerty definitely supports that because they are also an international um, uh, operation with big ambitions to, again, that, that car culture and that movement. Sure. Uh, the last three or four years, I've attended this FIA sport conference um, that they host, mm-hmm. which is a um, sort of the business of the FIA, right? So it brings okay, together okay. the clubs and the sanctioning bodies from around the world. And they talk about, you know, operational issues, growth opportunities, things like that. And what I see in going to that is that basically everyone in the world has the same problems, mm-hmm. right? So when it comes to running a smooth event or being organized or being able to communicate and market or, you know, all those things that it takes to run uh, events and organizations, everyone's got the same challenges. And so, sure, some of them might be in German, some of them might be in French, some of them might be in English, but um, there's very much a global need and demand for what we do. So, you know, today we've got our, our Race Hero app, for example, which is a, a live timing app. And that's used on six continents. Hmm, so really, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'll pull it up on the weekend and there's racing like in China or Japan or something. And there's, you know, the name of the event and the venue is in Mandarin or, or kanji. And I can't even, <laughs> I can't even read it. I'm like, I'm just so blown away of this um, incredible global audience of, of gearheads and enthusiasts. And so pretty much anywhere we can find a kindred spirit like that, our, our tooling is going to offer some level of support. So uh, that's definitely a big part of the of the roadmap ahead is to be in those places. You know, today we're mostly North America. We've got some UK uh, users uh, and a few other parts of the world like Singapore and Malta and uh, a little bit in the Middle East with Jordan and Qatar. But uh, there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there. Now, quickly back up and tell the audience Race Hero. That is RaceHero.io, and that is an app started by you as well to complement motorsports, Reg. Yeah, so Motorsport Reg handles all kinds of events, right? So we can we can help organize a cars and coffee event mm. uh, that's you know fifty of our friends at the local shop, and we could also do an event like the SCCA runoffs, which is a, a week long event mm. with you know five hundred racers and twenty five hundred workers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, wow. So in the middle is is a lot of club racing and a lot of uh, grassroots racing, whether it be karting or vintage racing or SCCA club racing or things like that, and. For me personally, you know, I, I do race, um, and what I've come to appreciate as kind of one of our guiding principles is that the reason why people go to events is for two reasons, really. One is to drive, and the other is to spend time with their friends and, and family and competitors. Yeah, totally. Everything else is, is just like red tape between like the experience and, and getting there, right? <laughs> yeah. Between so, driving on track and sitting at home, there's this gulf <laughs> of red tape. Yeah, go on. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a racer, you know, like it's like hotels and tires and like there's a thousand paper cuts that are between yeah, yeah. you and, and get out there and have fun, right? <laughs> yeah, that's very good point. Way. So to the extent that we can lower those friction, that's a good thing. So for me personally, I got tired of walking across the paddock to timing scoring to go get results only to find out that they hadn't been posted yet for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's maybe there was a penalty pending or some kind of steward's action, but whatever the case was, I wound up wasting a lot of time walking around rather than do those two things, the driving and the, and the time with friends. Mm-hmm. So we created Race Hero really as a scratch your own itch kind of solution. It's, it's kind of everything you need to keep track of your race weekend in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So you've got live timing, which, which comes out of the timing scoring system, and it gives you uh, like F1 style position gained and loss indicators. You get lap charts. Uh, is the FIA aware of this app? Do they, do we, they know? We, they might be using it. We, we've used it at Lemons. We've seen it we, at Lemons. We've scrolled through we and been have. like, oh, look, we have a position. to Chase that guy. Exactly. We've done that we've, for we've sure. We've used it, as a matter of fact. But does the FIA, are they using it, maybe? <laughs> I don't think they've patented uh, up-down indicators. Let me put it this way. No one's inquired yet, so that's a good thing. <laughs> and I do know they have plenty of lawyers. So I think if they were worried, they probably would contact us. Fair, yes. Okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Well, so you got some you got some fun stuff in there like that, and then you know entry lists and schedules, and and there's also the ability for organizers to communicate with folks at the track. So you can do uh, alerts and push notifications because, as you guys are aware, no one can ever understand a PA system. Uh, and this way, folks yeah. can yeah be in the loop about schedule changes or or penalties so, or whatever else. Is that burgers happen. and fries that we just ordered, or was it placement? I can't <laughs> what, what tell. Happened? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have uh, have you guys missed a call to grid? 
only to find out that you're either now at the back of the list or like you missed your session, right? So we don't want that to happen. It's more like two minutes before nobody's ready and we got to decide which driver's jumping in the car, yes. which, you know, suddenly in a panic. It's more, more like yeah. that. Or, or, you, or some, somehow there's been three, there's been three call outs and now it's like the start your engines thing. And it's like, why am I standing here without a helmet on? What, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Where did I, what happened? Yeah. I, I, you have probably seen that video on YouTube of the I was seventh video. No, as a matter of fact, I haven't. Okay, you need to look this up. It's a, it's a guy who misses the call to grid, or his gloves aren't on yet. And so the grid worker holds him, and he's he's starting seventh. The grid worker holds him, okay. and he has to go out last. Oh. It's at VIR, I think. And so they set it to angry heavy metal music, and then he weaves his way during the formation lap back into his seventh position, which is totally against the rules. <laughs> yes, it is. Totally <laughs> unsafe, and yet nonetheless uh, hysterical at the same time. That's very funny. I had to look that up. Well, there's another app that we, well, I don't know if it's an app. As a matter of fact, it's speedwaver.com that we want to know about as well. And that is fairly new. Yeah, Speedwaver, it's a pretty simple concept. So I'm sure you've all um, signed something electronically, right? A, a DocuSign or mm-hmm. something like this that you can, you know, maybe not your mortgage, but there's lots of agreements that we can sign electronically. And there are some unique elements to signing the waiver uh, for motorsports because of the um, hazardous. Uh, environment that we find ourselves in at a racetrack, right? The potentially hazardous environment that can happen. And so there's a lot of T's that have to be crossed and and I's that have to be dotted. And so we worked with the leading motorsport insurance companies over the past four or five years to build a solution for e-signing a waiver and other motorsport related documents Hmm. that would, that would stand the test in court, that would stand the, the requirements of the insurance companies so that we could do really one thing. And that is, remove the need for people to go to a certain place at a certain time and stand in line to do something. Hmm. Can we apply so, that to the DMV? Can we start there? And many, many other Please. places. Yes. I think we grow revenue if we, uh, if we get the DMV on board. Probably. And we, yes. you know, and for us, it's all about this event experience, right? If we go back to, I want to drive or I want to be with friends, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, going to registration or checking in and doing that whole song and dance, like that's just a, a something that I have to do. So maybe in, in today's climate at the moment, the fact that we can do things also um, more physically distanced is nice and, and more contact free. But really, the underlying goal is that we want to have an event where you can come into the paddock, you can drop your car off the trailer, and you can basically go on track. And you don't have to go talk to anybody unless you want to. There's, mm. there's none of this mm. like required stuff. That's phenomenal. I mean, That's you're part really of your team, you're just getting organized, and you're getting your head into the race, honestly. Yeah, ideally. I found that to be the case when we were at Lemons at our various races. I just kind of want to get a sense of what's going on on track and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where things need to be and what's the track temperature and what's the mm-hmm. ambient temperature and how am <laughs> I feeling and like, get, get in that game. You're standing you know? out there with your thermometers. I know. I've seen it. Yeah, it's crazy. Gotta get <laughs> in the headspace. Yeah, yeah. You know this, Brian. I mean, you're a Thunderhill race driver as well. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. What is, what is your, uh, your race experience? Fill us in on that. Cause this, this clearly comes from your own usage. That's one of the things I like about it. It's not just, you had a crazy idea. You went, I don't like, I'm a racer. I want to, I want to solve the <laughs> problem. You're already describing that that's what you wanted yeah. to do. So what's your, what's your race history? Well, I started just doing track days with the BMW club. That's kind of how I got into it in the first place. Um, but you know, if you go back to being a kid, I've, I've got a deep competitive streak. You know, if you ask my brother, uh, he's four years younger than I am. Like I would yell and scream when we would play mini golf as kids because he would cheat. That was so, also last week, right? When you're yeah. playing mini golf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like I've got this competitive streak and as I learned as an adult, you know, I didn't know this as a kid, but you learn as an adult, like, Oh, as an adult, you can get a race car and you can go racing. And mm-hmm. so I, uh, bought a <laughs> light bulb. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's this, I think this is an issue as a sport, and this is one of the things I love about your podcast is that you guys are uh, and the show. It's like these are things that average people, everyday drivers, can do. Yes, because yeah. we run into this perception issue all the time, right? Like, oh, a racetrack. Well, like, I'm not a NASCAR driver. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's dude. okay. Please come yeah. anyway. Yes, exactly. neither are we. So, uh, as I learned as an adult, you can get on the track. It's like, okay, this is this is phenomenal. Like, I can live out my childhood dreams mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. as an adult. So I bought a uh, E30 M3, a, a 1991 BMW E30 M3 like it. Uh, wow. race car. Beautiful. Uh, fantastic. I drove it to and from the racetrack. I would like bungee cord my tires into the passenger seat. Love it. That's, uh, that sounds, uh, yes, I do. totally relate to all of this. As Keep one going. does. 
incredibly safe. Uh, yes, of right? course. What could what could Tools. go wrong? I, come on, Brian. I get it. Yeah. Toolbox is sitting loosely in the back seat, right? Uh-huh. It'll, be fi- it'll be fine. Yeah. It's heavy. It'll be fine Just there. Just put it's it in and go yeah. to the track. What's the problem? Doing, doing perhaps more than the posted speed limit at night going to Button Willow, you know, down I-5. Maybe. 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 Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of my start. I do a little bit of club racing with the with the BMW club. And then for me, that competitive streak, I'm like, okay, how do I find out where I stack up? So mm-hmm. I moved into SCCA and Spec Miata where we had, um, back around the 2005, 2006 time frame, we had 50 and 60 car fields out here oh. uh, that produced a bunch of uh, later national champions. And so really deep competition, uh, really high level of, of prep for both car and driver. And man, I, I learned so much. I'm and sure, so, yeah, yeah. From there, it's kind of a little bit more spec Miata. I started doing some endurance racing and then um, taking a couple shots at the SCCA runoffs in uh, spec Miata. Okay. Uh, and then a lot of endurance racing, um, which wow, I cool. have a deep love for. Very cool. Yeah, you did uh, 24 hours of Thunderhill, right? Yeah, the 25. 25, sorry, be, yes. It's got to be one hour longer than Of course it does, else, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, it's a really phenomenal event. You know, what's, what's so great about that is if you ever have that experience where you're somewhere, maybe you're in your hometown like where you grew up, and you see somebody – and you're like, do I know that person from high school or college or work? Like, you can't quite mm-hmm. place at yeah, first sure. where you yeah, know yeah. the person from. The 25 Hours of Thunder Hill is just like that because it's a end-of-season race that doesn't roll up to something else, right? It's not part of a, of a national championship. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of these pro teams who will come in to just do fun end-of-year stuff. You'll get the local guys who are bringing out their Miata because they just mm-hmm. want to run an endurance race and then everything in between. And so it's this really fun combination of people and cars that come together. And, of course – December in Northern California, you get, um, you know, 15 hours of darkness. So a lot of fun opportunity to drive in the dark as well. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, what cars do you currently own? We're curious. Kind of disappointing to talk to you uh, here because <laughs> <laughs> there's no skipping this question. Everybody's welcome here, though. Keep going, Brian. It's all right. Yeah. Well, I know you guys have your spectrum of sacrifice, and I'm sadly on mostly one end of that spectrum of sacrifice. Okay. All right. Um, there's no minivans yet, but. Uh, we have basically we, we work from home full time, so okay. we have a couple of of non daily daily drivers. Uh, one is a uh, 2003 Dodge truck; uh, it's basically tow rig, okay. uh, sure. and the other is a uh, 2012 BMW X5, which is also a diesel. But that's kind of our our family car. Excellent. I am excellent. Do lucky you still have the race car, by the way. Yeah, what's the what's the truck towing, by the way? Yeah, well, no, no, there's no trailer. There's no race car. There's oh. no stuff at the moment. Oh, okay, uh, I wow. Sold it all off a all couple right. years ago. I'm surprised. Yeah. Keep going. But I do have a uh, shifter cart that I keep out at uh, Sonoma, oh, and nice. so Ooh. that's kind of my fun, my fun car that I get to. That's very cool. We need to make a shirt yeah. that says, I am currently between race cars. <laughs> Something <laughs> oh, along yes. those lines. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm just you know just formulating between, the idea. Yes. Between race car relationships. That's where exactly. I am. Yeah, that's very and, true. And that's kind of like you could be uh, 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 polyamorous is not the right word, but polygamist, right? Like you don't have to have Absolutely. a race car. You can be between two and three or two and four or five and six, however many you can have. Well, I, I say this kind of frequently on the podcast <laughs> is, you know, don't look. If you, if you have the itch, don't try to change – your significant other or your spouse. Go change cars. Much easier, much less hassle, much less stress in your this life. This is really a relationship. Go ch- seriously, we're, we're accidentally a relationship podcast, but go change cars. It's it's much easier for sure. All right. So, what are you eyeballing for your next purchase then? Well, I, I probably should send an inquiry into the show because uh, I'm kind of all over the place on this. I know that, like, I definitely want to pick something up. Uh, I've got an itch lately to to do something, especially just something fun to drive, right? Because those those cars in the driveway are nice, but they're mm-hmm. they're not fun to drive. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so many years ago, I had a consulting company before I started doing the motorsport reg stuff, and at the time, we used to call the bank account the Ferrari fund. It was like we'll, like we'll build this, you know, we'll build this up, we'll get a Ferrari, and this is this is when life would be great. And thusly, let it be so. Mm-hmm. I like this. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, good. Uh, create the prophecy you want. <laughs> But what happened is once I started racing, I sort of found that I lost my interest in having a high-performance streetcar. Mm. You know, my buddy down the street has a, a Ferrari 458 in his driveway. And every time I see it, I think, man, if my kid bumped into that and scratched it, like, oh, just it just seems like something I would be angry about a lot, potentially angry about a lot. <laughs> fair, fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember I was listening to your uh, episode a while back about doing the SEC licensing school, which I think was at Thunder Hill, correct? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was just okay. recently. That was just a TV episode. Uh, yeah. yeah, last Saturday was the TV episode. But keep going. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Okay, great. So, you know, just to wind back, like when I was 16, I had a – my first car was a four-cylinder Chevy Beretta. It was okay. a – Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty reasonable, like pretty sporty first car. Yeah, absolutely. Game. I think I at that time, for sure. For yeah, yeah. Years. Yeah, yeah. 
The Beretta. The second, the second day I took that car to school, I got a 48 and a 25 speeding ticket. Oh, and of course you did. That was, yeah, right? And so that was not the only speeding ticket. So for me, partly, like not having a fast street car is a is a is an intentional limitation. So, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, so I think where I'm at right now for the next thing is, I'll admit I'm getting some pressure being part of Haggerty that I should own some kind of a classic. <laughs> uh, you know, like if you want to fit in. Can't imagine why. Wait, what? I, oh, oh, yeah, now I get it. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so that's, that's kind of in the cards, maybe. I mean, I love, I love old cars. I love a lot of the old BMWs, like the 2002s and the, the 3 CSLs and 3Os. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I love old 911s, but I think those are just kind of like too pricey for my blood. Um, and then recently we went on a camping trip up to these Sierras where the uh, Rubicon trail starts. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you like the off-road trail? Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm kind of like, oh, maybe vintage Bronco, but then you see the new Bronco and that looks pretty cool too. So, sure, I mean, sure. I'm all over the place. Plus, You're, I saw a uh, Aston Martin Vantage on the uh, went auction site for about thirty five grand. I thought, like. Oh, really? Isn't it shocking that those are there? That, Brian, you're right there with us. I mean, this is the thing. The disease is consistent, and it's always like, well, I could have one of those, but I could also have one of those. And they couldn't be more diametrically opposed. We do it all the time, yeah. for sure. Well, it sounds like that, you know, he's telling us that enthusiasts, and then, you know, as you graduate to a race car driver, you just want to leave it all on the tracks. And that's why everybody eventually likes brown Mercedes wagons. <laughs> <laughs> I drive a brown Mercedes bike, but I'm really fast in my cool race car and track. No, 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 no. Come back. Wait. Well, I think that's where I've landed. It's like I'm all over the place on this stuff, so I'll probably just go buy a race car instead. Very funny. Well, that's I can see, see the logic thing. for sure. Yeah. So what's the coolest car you've driven, either street car or race car? What do, you, what do you look back on the most fondly? I've driven mostly slow, unremarkable cars. Um, so I've probably ridden in some great cars, you know, some some of the Ford GT40s and, and Ferraris and stuff like that, coaching at track days and, and things. But I'd say behind the wheel, maybe it wasn't just the car, but probably the best experience was uh, driving a BMW M235i at Spa on the Nürburgring there you with go. RSR Nürburgring a couple years there ago. There you I think go. I think you guys have recently done this, or you're going to do it next year, right? We, we do it. We tried to do, couldn't do it this year. We tried to do it every year. We did a feature film where we, as two idiots and not knowing any better, took a couple camera guys with us and just made a documentary about just Americans Pretty trying much. this out in 2015. Yeah. And people said they wanted to go. And so since then, we've taken annual trips, and we take listeners and viewers along with us, and it's typically you know a half dozen to a dozen people, and we do exactly what you're talking about. You, you get on the ring. You get on spa. There's a road tour day in the middle. So mm-hmm. I completely relate to what you're talking about. It is epic. In your travels, Brian, have you driven on tracks around the world, or was this just more travel, that nine months you were referring to? Yeah, the, the, the nine months of travel was mostly just travel. In fact, I didn't drive a car for most of that trip, so coming home was a little bit of an eye-opener. But no, that was mostly just travel. Okay. okay. Um, that was mostly just travel. Gotcha. Well, we need to take Brian then. Yeah, we absolutely. Get you should him join on us. Track the, and... the, the pilgrimage trip is really, really fun, and yeah. we were kind of crushed, as many people were, that it wasn't a 2020 event. But as I have joked before, if if everybody does everything in 2021 that they've put off in 2020, we're gonna <laughs> none of us are gonna have anything but fun in 2021. It's it's already epic. I'm telling you, we got six more months of well, we'll do that next year. Still on top of us. It's crazy. Copy that thing off the calendar. Put, put yes. it ahead one year. Like I can't wait. The calendar is looking amazing. Uh, well, and meanwhile, no. I'm sorry, I'm on a rant about it now but meanwhile also you know don't hear anybody saying they also want to cancel the 2021 thing so now we're just we're double stacking a year here we're we're not going to go to work we're just going to play which i'm all for by the way i i'm curious because i've used motorsport like i said for more than a decade for various track events because it was just it was the portal to get in and to pay and to register and all the kind of stuff but something you said earlier i want to circle back to it and that is it doesn't have to be track events. You, the average person can kind of organize their small event through it as well, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think we're probably best known for track days and HPDE events because that's where we started. Again, going all the way back to that BMW CCA uh, club in 2002. But uh, track days are actually a minority of what we, what we handle today, mm-hmm. um, sort of that non-competitive on-track experience. We have a lot of autocross, uh, actually uh, uh, like 1,500 autocrosses a year on the platform. Wow. And those, you know, any streetcar and 35 bucks will get you into an autocross. And mm-hmm. they're almost always located in your town because they'll they'll use like a stadium parking lot. So, so super totally, accessible. Totally, yeah. Great place to get started. We have a lot of social events and fun runs and uh, touring events. And then, you know, on the deeper end of that, you've got uh, club racing and vintage racing and karting and things like that. But a ton. And this is one of the things I love about being part of Haggerty there's this huge Haggerty audience of people who love cars 
and and sort of like our joint mission between you and I is like exposing the world to what they can actually do with their car. And there's a ton mm-hmm. of stuff on our platform um, that if you've got a couple bucks in an afternoon or or a day to spend, uh, you can have a lot of fun behind the wheel. That's awesome. So can you? I'm sorry, I'm kind of reverse engineering this in my head. Can you use Motorsport Reg as a search engine? to find events versus just because I'm used to going to it because I'm, I, I know about this event and I'm going to motorsport right. reg. Can you kind of work it in reverse and go, I'm in this area, show me what's up. Yeah. And in fact, by default, when you land on our, on our calendar, we will automatically geotarget you based on your IP address and show you just what's nearby. So sort of the default experience is around discovery, which is you're in, you know, let's take Traverse city, Michigan as the, sure, as the sure. headquarters for Haggerty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what's within 300 miles in the next 90 days. And if you want to, if you're instead of like, hey, I'm going to take a road trip to Florida, you can go search in Florida instead and see the same thing. But the whole wow. idea is if you've got, if you've got time and interest, like there are a lot of opportunities. And what, what we talk about with our clubs, as we think about building that, that rising tide that lifts all boats, you know, whether it's a club or a racetrack or a sanctioning body, the worst thing we can do is have somebody like sit out. Like I've always, I love this saying about the worst thing you can do with a race car is let it sit mm-hmm. because the belts expire, the window net expires, the sure, tires sure, sure. the tires go off, right? And so then the yeah. cost of coming back and getting involved again kind of maybe not the cost, but the, the friction goes up a little bit, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So if we think about what we are really competing with as a sport, it's not it's not two clubs fighting with each other, it's not two tracks fighting with each other. I mean, sure, they've got some shared customers, but really what we're competing with is kids sports, uh, work, mm-hmm. golf, mm-hmm. Totally. all these other other mm-hmm. lifestyle activities. And, and so if we can get someone to participate a third or fourth or fifth time in a year, even with a different organization, that is like net good for us as a sport and as a hobby yeah. to get yeah. more people more involved. That's wow. cool to be that able to kind fantastic. of use it as a, well, I don't know anything to do. And you can go there and be like, oh, wait, there's all this stuff now. I think that's awesome. I'm yeah. really glad there's it can too, be used There's too way. much stuff to do. Too Absolutely. much stuff to do, which is the great thing. Yeah, yeah within great. 300 miles, a listing like that is is borderline over, overwhelming. Yeah. Okay, so Brian, if you were to buy a cheap track car, and it couldn't be Miata, <laughs> I see where you went. Since you are shopping, you've sort of admitted that yes, you would yes. put your dollars towards the next race car. What are we talking if it can't be Miata? What, what's your definition of cheap? It could be honestly, it could be anything. I mean, Miatas are kind of the definition of cheap race car. So ten grand. It could be yeah, 15 10, grand. 10, 10 to 20, let's say there. You know, we're, not, we're not buying a $200,000 race car. No, let's say no, 10 no, to no. 20 grand. I mean, it's hard to take the Miata off the, off the page just because it is such an amazing <laughs> platform. Like the answer is always Miata. Exactly. Know. We, yeah. we know uh, that for sure. Absolutely. That's why we have to give the caveat because, of course, we could just say, what, what would you buy a cheap race car? You'd say Miata. We'd move Miata. on. <laughs> Beyond <laughs> that, what do we do? I mean, I think so. Having done some E30 M3s, you know, the M3 wouldn't be in that budget range, but I do think the. Uh, like 87 to 91 or 92 BMW uh, uh, 3 Series, great car, mm-hmm. whether it's a spec car or not. You know, parts are cheap. You can wrench on them yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of them, so you can pick them up. I mean, the number one way to get a great track car is to buy a track car that somebody else has built Absolutely. because then you get to buy it for <laughs> pennies on a dollar. Yes, you do, for yes, sure. Yes, that's great. Right? That's so great. I think, you know, that's probably in the 10 to 20 range. You can get a really great E30 in there. There's probably a lot of other stuff, but but I like – I personally like cars that a lot of other people have because that gives you opportunities to learn and compare notes. And for me, oh sure, whether it's professional, you know, professional career or it's the racing, for me, it's really about learning and learning how to learn. And so you, you have to have benchmarks and baselines to be able to compare yourself to. So for me, I, I love stuff like that. I can see that because if you're the only car out there, it's cool that you're the only one, but you can't have anybody where you're like, why is he faster or slower than me? Mm-hmm. Because there's a bunch of other variables at play. That's a great point. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Well, I know that you have Italian heritage, and I'm dying to ask you this question because Ferrari is Ferrari. Everybody likes Ferraris. Ferrari is great and all. But what's your opinion of Maserati? <laughs> because this is now Paul's obsession. This is my loaded <laughs> question This is now your you. ridiculous thing about Maseratis. <laughs> I know. So, so I do have Italian heritage. In fact, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm not just a, uh, not just a descendant, but actually a citizen of the, of the wonderful country of Italy. Fantastic. Uh, I unfortunately want to be, or I should say, I need to be careful around what I say around Paul. Um, Well, my, but but the irony also is the fact that Paul's opinion has changed quite a bit. So you've got a range to work in, Brian. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, for me, really, my my exposure to Maserati for the most part has been it was my it was the car that my mom sort of loved and dreamed about, and she she never had one, but she would always say her dream car was the Maserati with glass packs. 
And that would kind of, oh. you know, obviously <laughs> date, date her in terms of age and era and everything. Sure, but that sure. was what was big for her that she loved. Um, I The styling for me is just like not, it's not my thing exactly. Like I'm much more of an Aston Martin fan for sort of like bigger GT cars. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm with you, man. All right. All but right. you know what? Like we have to have all types. Like this is a, a diverse world and we should have love for everything. So there's nothing wrong with them. They're just not really my Very tactfully put. Cream. Very, very tactfully put, Brian. <laughs> nice. And and we, we keep laughing about Paul's changing love for Maserati as a result of this uh, old sedan challenge that we're on the back of. And, you know, this week we'll have another update about ridiculous things that are going hey, on with those cars. It's not all their Maseratis that I like, but I, I have come around quite uh, a have, bit. I, and I'm shocked at how well the QP5 drives. You've come around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm... Uh, just incredible shot. amount that it doesn't make any sense to me I at mean, all. I'm but just, okay. Like I said, I'm going to hand that on to some other wonderful, loving owner that can deal with that dirty diaper of a car, <laughs> and uh, they can just you know enjoy the turn signal blink. The the interior lights blink with the right turn signal. Only with the right one, though. It's, just to just to be it's even fascinating. more. Quirky. It's a great feature. I thought, why didn't I think of this? Because at <laughs> I love night, that you it just refer to it as a feature. That's destroys your thing. night vision just in time for it to come back, and then it destroys it again. Yeah, it's awesome. Great. Well, Every software developer is going to tell you that's a feature, not a bug. So that's how we handle that. Absolutely. Yeah. See, well, well put, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for being on with us, man. It's really cool to hear a little more detail because, look, I'll admit my own ignorance to to knowing just how broad you can you can go as a enthusiast to find great events with Motorsport Reg. I just think it's really cool to hear. Well, I love it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. And like I said, congrats again on, on your 500 episode. We have a shared shared enthusiasm and spirit for making sure we get people uh, and get their hands on the wheels. So uh, yeah, I love talking to you guys. And absolutely. We, we want to do whatever we, we can to help MS Reg grow, Motorsport Reg grow too, because we're already users and it was cool. Yeah. To, it was cool to discover that and, and make that connection and think, well, we're already here. Yeah. Well, now we we'll get sure. to talk to the guy who founded it. Yeah, for sure. It's fantastic. Great. Love it. Thank love you. Man. It. Thanks, guys. Practically any event you want to do, motorsports yeah. related, yeah. uses Motorsports Reg. There is not a competitor. There is really nothing else. It is the go-to place. Well, I like that Brian ultimately created it out of nothing because he saw a need for it for himself. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is really funny. Is I love the organic it, nature of it. And, yeah. and then it became this thing where he was like, well, I like doing track race. I like being a race driver. I like, But this needs to get solved. And that needs – I mean, we already talked about it. But I love the fact that he saw the things that annoyed him about trying to go to track. <laughs> and then he solved it, and that became Motorsports Reg. Because, I mean, we've been using that long before we had any conversations yeah. with Haggerty. And, and, of course, they've joined forces here recently. Very, very which fun. was cool to see. And then also the entrepreneurship of the apps that were also kind of born out of frustration about, I want to be on track with my friends. Yeah. I don't want to be signing waivers. I totally. Don't want to be doing yes. All this stuff. Agreed. So, yep. was, so Brian, thanks again for jumping on. Really appreciate it. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. Starting with Jeff Donsbach's question here on Facebook and talking about the Alpha Julia. We talked about the lesser trim models that are not yeah. the Quadrifoglio, yeah. and they're still great compared to that car. Is the same thing true for the Stelvio? Hmm. We have not reviewed the Stelvio on camera, but we have both driven it at a track day. It was a Motopress Guild track day, gosh, three years ago now. And I remember coming away thinking it w- it had its interesting moments, but I didn't come away <laughs> thinking, well, this is great, and I never expected this. It just, mm-hmm. I just thought in the sea of SUVs, what is making this stand out besides styling? So I cannot say, but again, the drive has been a little bit, you know, a while back right now. I, well, I think we, we should actually grab one again. But unlike the Julia, we have not taken and driven multiple variants of it. Okay. With true. the Julia, Very we drove true. the, yeah. the uh, Quadrifoglio and it was awesome. But then we drove a couple of different variants of the lesser one. And we're like, these are really good too. The Stelvio, it's been the big boy or nothing. So we have much, to have some opportunity in some others. Very often, I don't either. I, I agree don't know with that you. It's been yeah. a real great seller, even Apparently though it looks not. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah for know. sure. RM Brandt 11 on Instagram is asking a Southern California tire question. He's saying, okay, tires in California. He goes to the mountains to go skiing. Right, Otherwise, right. he's in Southern California. Now, this is the world we lived in, you and I. He's saying, yeah. do I really yeah. need winter tires? For the few trips I'm going to take to the mountains. Now, I will also caveat this. This is uh, if you listen to podcast 52, 
which is the origin of everything that happened to the show. We just tell the whole story. <laughs> yeah. Paul and I became really good friends because he was the only friend that my wife and I could find. And anytime we said, we're going to Mammoth, he said, I'm going too. Heck so yeah. it was the three of us in our, in our Yukon many, many, many times. And even driving to Mammoth, honestly, over winter, almost every weekend we would go. Yeah, I remember And even that. driving up there almost every weekend, very rarely were the roads from Los Angeles to Mammoth bad enough to need anything but all seasons. And the times that they were, which might be three or four times a year, and this is going every weekend, I just put chains on. I would probably still yeah. do that if I still live there now. Yeah, probably so. I, and there's specific chain-up areas when you exit yes, to go to Mammoth. Are. And if the weather is really bad, it's nasty up there. It's nasty, yes. The, the all-seasons sure. won't cut it, so chains are required mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you so still can't go with all-wheel drive. You can get by with chains. For sure you can. That's what I would do if I was still living in L.A. and driving up to Mammoth and discovering snow for, let's be honest, the last half hour of the drive. And otherwise, everything else is no snow ever. So, mm-hmm. no. I mean, And plus, let's be honest, Los Angeles in the middle of January, you can eat outside you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just true. They're, they're, true. you're not even anywhere near temperatures for winter tires, so hopefully that helps. Tim Norman asks me if I think stripes enhance a car's lines. <laughs> Can I answer too? <laughs> Sorry, go absolutely. On. I I'll be honest. The 911R, y'all know yeah. the 911R, yeah, yeah. right? Sure. I'm not in love with those stripes. They're too far apart. In my interesting. Opinion. Okay, and right. I think they detract, but. Conversely, GT stripes like on a Mustang or a Shelby, you know, something like that. I think they look cool. I I like them. Not on every car. I am not saying let's do stripes that will add racing pedigree and provenance to every car. I'm saying like uh, the Ford GT. Mm -hmm. The GTs that have them, I do like. They look kind of naked without them. I'll be honest. Interesting. Because, see, I, I think the Ford GT may be the only exception to my rule, which is no stripes. I I don't like of any car with stripes. Any and anytime look? I see a Ford GT, the one that came out in the early two thousands or the current one without stripes, I always like it better. You do like it. I better. do like it better. Sometimes I think it looks weird. See, I think it looks. I think it looks better. I just want a color. Pick a bright color and embrace it, and we're done. No huh. stripes. No stripes. Remember, remember, Incredibles. No capes. This is no stripes. No capes. So Sorry. yeah, I do not like stripes on cars. Mm. But okay. All right. Well, you know, I guess it just depends on your taste and your car. Clearly it does, yes. You know, I I think just let's go minimalistic. Let's just keep it at minimal stripes and, uh, you know, something cool with good edges. Not like, you know, confetti weird stripes. Not not that kind of thing. (laughs) Atomic Gumby on Instagram says, what's the best way to notify another driver that it's it's 10 o'clock at night, the sun is down, the stars are out, and your headlights are not on? Now, the, the trick here is couple of things. First off, daytime running lights have gotten so bright. Okay. They just have, we all have cars with daytime running lights. Yeah. They are yeah. surprisingly bright. Go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Even if you had daytime running lights, they were dim enough that you noticed it was dark out. Okay. Yeah. And, right, and right. as a result, also your gauges were, were dark enough that you were like, what's going on? If you drive in a city that has lots of streetlights, and you have your daytime running lights on. And I am defending the person that didn't turn their lights on because it is actually possible to drive and have enough information and never have thought to turn your lights on. It's possible to do. I blame it on gauges on modern electroluminescent panels, whatever they are. And because those are on and they're bright, they're super you think, bright. well, my lights are on. And the daytime running lights cast enough of a light in front of your car mm-hmm. that yes. you, can, you can be fooled by this, yes. especially if you're driving around a street light. So there's that. Having said that, what you have to do is get that driver to notice something about lights. And what I have seen and I, what, I, what I have done and I have seen work is you get near that person and you change every bit of lighting on your car. Off, on, blinkers, hazards. I can you, do that with the Maserati. All you I have can to do, do is turn on the right. All you have to do is just drive by with the Maserati. I, true. I but, still don't have so brake lights. That's the only way I've had seen this work is you just get the other person to notice lights are changing on the car. And then they look around like, what the heck? And. Also, you can sometimes use a flash. Is your Tesla in party mode? What are you doing there? <laughs> it's an app. No, Yay. your lights aren't. It's Vegas disco mode. <laughs> yeah, no. Just was released this week. Did you get the new download? Uh, anyway, so so that's one of the ways I know to do it. The problem with just flashing your brights is that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. That can, I agree. So I think you should I think not. That's the flash one to not do. Yeah, agreed. All right. If uh, driver training is number one in the modifications department, Alex Maiden asks. He said, then tires is second place. We agree. What is the third most important modification for getting more out of a vehicle? Hmm. Two things that could be debated, but I think they carry equal weight, and that is either upgrading our brakes 
mm-hmm. or removing weight if possible. Mm. Now, that removing weight can remain going with lighter wheels oh, because we're going. always sure. going after the feel, the handling of a car. Yeah, if yeah. you go with, you know, you can't remove bits of the car and parts of the car <laughs> without do that. You still need to drive trashing car. your car yeah. and it's not a race car then lighter wheels are a good thing to chase because if you've upgraded tires, maybe you've gone up a tire size mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and therefore if you can't afford it, I know it's expensive, but gone with lighter wheels because it's going to change the character of the car dramatically. Now brakes are up there. I would always upgrade brakes before I would increase power. The Toyota 86 notwithstanding, <laughs> I do it all at the same time, but still. <laughs> well, but I also think Adding on to what you've just said, I think when we're talking brake upgrades, it depending on how you're using them. But but the other big thing, the the start of it is this: put in a higher temp brake fluid. Yeah, that's because I've been yeah. in cars yeah. that there wasn't anything wrong with the brakes, but I boiled out the fluid because the fluid was just a street fluid for you to be doing stop and go braking, and it was just and it got real base soft, soft brake fluid. Yeah. And you put in a high temp fluid, and you never have a brake problem. So there's that's that's right. like the lowest level of dealing with brakes, right? Take a guess at the one thing we can't get enough of, car stuff. That's right. That's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of the award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, which is chock full of interesting reads and beautiful photos. You'll also get access to members-only live stream on topics that range from car values to automotive history, DIY tutorials, and a whole lot more. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts from big brands, including Deal of the Week, which is always an exclusive deal that only lasts a couple of days. If you love cars, and we know you do, this club is for you. Learn more at Haggerty.com slash Everyday Driver. Rubido said on Instagram, he's got a track daily crush that's kind of difficult. Did you see this? I did. I'm looking it's at the, it here. Yeah. Uh, the three liter straight, uh, straight six Supra, the V6 Jaguar F-Type, and the Audi TTRS track daily crush. You and I haven't driven too many TTs. We haven't. But that's I true. think I can tell you. Okay. I think I, I think without question, the Supra's the track car here. I agree, yeah. And I think, I, look, I, this may be a cop-out, but I think the daily car is decided by what kind of daily you're doing. And I think okay. if you have a situation where you're in the V6 F-Type, it's not all-wheel drive, you have normal weather, you're in Southern California, this kind of thing, I think it's the F-Type and the TT gets crushed. I, I think agree. if you were if I you agree. were doing nasty weather like we get here through the winters, I'd probably go TTRS. In fact, that's when the TTRSs show up. You don't see them in summer drive season. You see them here when the weather gets awful and the TTs come out. It's It's, very cool. It's weird. The town is full of Audis that do make their appearance. I've seen SQ5s. I've seen you name the, you know, anything with an S or RS. It makes an appearance. I'm going, where where are y'all summer long? But, you know, they've got other sports cars apparently. So, yeah, kind of interesting. All right, uh, Peter and Slow asks, what is the easiest manual car to daily drive in traffic? Or alternatively, what are the best modern features that make daily driving a manual in traffic easier? Mm. I would say a GTI, something like that. Yeah, those, those are, are good. just yeah. easy to shift. So are the, the Hondas, the uh, Civic Si. Very, very easy to operate in traffic. Just clutch engagement and having a light clutch really is what mm. you want. But honestly, a car that you can leave the clutch out and go still 20 miles an hour, a car that has enough torque. Mm. Could you leave in first and it'll overpower it enough and you could actually let the clutch out and just the idle of the engine. Have you guys ever tried that? Yeah. Just the idle alone of the engine has enough torque to push you along at eight miles an hour. That's not your golf, but I take your point. Otherwise that'd be more your Hellcat, which you can practically start in top gear. You can do that in sixth gear. Yeah, exactly. That's ridiculous. Uh, Dehema says his wife wants to start doing Canyon runs in her Lexus ISF. She has fantastic, no performance driving experience of any kind beyond commuting. And he's worried about her. Okay. How does he proceed? I love that. She's interested. I think it's great that she wants to. This is the thing I find about performance driving and people that haven't done it generally, but broad brush here. Cause there could be exceptions. Your wife could be in here, but generally, people get themselves into a canyon driving situation and they don't end up driving very fast because they're having sensations yeah. they haven't felt before very true. and it feels really fast all of a sudden, yeah. okay? Yeah. But what I would do is I would, I would go out with her, first off, and I would say just investigate. 
You're not trying to beat anybody. You're not trying to do any certain speeds. Just take corners and feel what the car does and, and feel the handling more than worry about the power. Okay. And also, okay. I would say this. Brake before corners. You are much better off. I would tell this to your wife. Yeah. You are much better off braking too much for this corner and being like, oh, I got this. You do not want to have to be doing a sudden the, – the corner suddenly got sharper halfway through and you're going way too fast and you had no idea the road did, did this. I would also say if you can, and everybody's brains are different. My brain's really good at remembering roads. Yeah, but yeah, go definitely. out and find roads that she's going to do a lot and just work that road so she can learn the road too. Sure. I'm just questioning do you, that, that rule, don't teach your spouse how to do anything, applies here. It, Possibly. You're, you're not – in I, training here, you're just investigating, it sounds like. But then yeah. if there's actual spirited driving occurring, if If she wants straight up instruction, else, there's a conversation yeah. for you guys to have about whether or not she wants you to give that instruction. But I'm just saying you're a little bit concerned, so go with her. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think, but, but keep in mind, there, it's, it, we're talking about building on skills. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. break more than you think. Take it easy and feel the handling. Don't worry about how fast can I get to the next corner car's fast enough let it be that just experience the handling feel that because that's so different than commuting it's not even funny awesome all right there's a question here oh parmalot says are digital dashboards here to stay or are we ever going back to analog dials well you know which ones that have we experienced will stand the test of time i hate to say it but i don't think we're going backwards as far yeah, as instrumentation true. is concerned because manufacturers can pack so much more information in a small space and actually, it's it's more helpful to be honest. And then you can customize it. That's the thing yeah. I really do. That's the thing mm-hmm. I genuinely like about it. Is you can be like, I don't want that version. I want this version. Yeah. To be honest, the ones that I like the most right now are the the MBUX system from Mercedes. Yeah. yeah. It's not just the nav, but you can actually change what the instrument panel looks like, and it'll change when you put it in sport mode. But it just it kind of changes the experience. It amps you up. Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. You know, the car is in a different mode right now. It's giving you different information. C8 Corvette does it too. Yeah, you're right. Pretty nice. Benzin217 said uh, he really enjoyed this past weekend's sedan piece. Thank you, man. It was the Camry TRD, the Honda Accord, the Mazda 6, and the Hyundai Sonata. It was those four cars commuted in. Let's be honest. We drove them around a downtown area. Downtown area. It was downtown Denver. He's saying he enjoyed it, and he was responding to the fact that you and I talked about how the Mazda 6 feels like a premium product. And more importantly, yeah. for yeah, the discussion indeed. of the piece, the Mazda 6, think about this for a second. It, it was a Revelation to me as well to ponder it. That is the halo car from Mazda. That is the nicest, highest thing they make. They look at that as their halo vehicle, the mm-hmm. Mazda 6. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. His question is, what would Mazda need to do to be compared with Lexus? Why aren't they compared with Lexus? Is there a reason people don't, etc.? Honestly, I think it is because they operate in a price point with their competitors, the Toyota and the Honda and those kind of things. In order to be Lexus, they'd need to be ten or fifteen thousand dollars higher and and actually be shopped as a premium brand. That's not how Mazda's positioned itself. And what I find interesting about Mazda is the fact that they've positioned themselves as where we're down here with the kind of the more normal affordable brands, and then you get in and they've done their interiors beyond that, which I actually think is a coup. Mm, interesting. All right, there's a. Pretty interesting question to think about from I Need Coffee on Twitter, who asks, which names would you give to the new models and platforms from Stellantis? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, it's it's carving out where you think makes the most sense. It's like what Chrysler, FCA, did with Ram. It's really no yeah. longer Dodge trucks, even though yeah. we all know them as Dodge trucks. And this is a Dodge yeah. truck, but they're Fair not point. really Dodge trucks. Fair point. Yeah. They're Ram. It's the Ram brand. And they've done the same thing with Mopar. That's kind of a separate brand. I like that they're thinking maybe about bringing Peugeot cars over. But on the other hand, you think about Peugeot, they've done the same thing with DS automobiles. Mm-hmm. DS is not just the luxury versions mm-hmm. of Citroens now. They're DS automobiles, which is a higher level standard. It's like what Polestar and Volvo has done with that relationship. So it's sort of the tip of the technological spear kind of thing. Yeah, I get it. So if FCA were to do that and leave Dodge over here as just, let's just do awesome muscle cars. Let's not have any more Dodge journeys. (laughs) No more of that, please. Just the Stellantis journey does work, by the way. Tag me. The Stellantis journey. Join us at Stellantis. (laughs) I mean, Chrysler, yeah. to be honest, 
doesn't really need to exist anymore. With the Chrysler 300, it could be the Stellantis 300. No, no. It, they've got the Pacifica minivan. Mm-hmm. We could go with, well, maybe not the Pacifica, not the Voyager, but something else to define. This is people movers over here. Then we've got the Dodge brand, which is just, you know, future electrified two-door, four-door. Ways to go fast. Amazing, yes. you know, yeah, hot yeah, yeah. muscle mm-hmm. cars. And then on down from there, Jeep used to be, you know, under AMC. Remember that? It was yeah, the AMC for sure. Jeep. Definitely. Now yeah, Jeep yeah. is just the brand itself. The point is FCA has a track record of doing this mm-hmm. with their vehicles. And so they can continue to do this as they proliferate into electrification and you know, where they have their people movers and muscle cars and sports cars. Mm. We need a category over here for lightweight, fun to drive sports cars, because I don't know what that is from FCA right now. They either have a sledgehammer (laughs) to bash you over the head or a minivan. They have a house with a Hellcat motor in it. And as a result, it is fast, not because it's light, but because it's that powerful. We're going to have things like the Stellantis Galaxy. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Cringing. It's, It's going on. Yeah. Hal Bullock on Facebook says, when you drive a vehicle with lots of downforce in the corners, designed to have downforce, if you drive it slowly, will it not go around some corners it would go around if you were going quickly? His, his example being, if, if the car is designed to go around this corner well at 120, will it slide off at 75? Hal, first off, there's a lot of gray area in here because it's the first thing to think about is most of the cars with downforce also run slicks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Slicks vary in their grip wildly based by whether or not you've warmed them up. So now you have tires to warm up and downforce involved. Okay. The thing about it is it's not an on off switch. It's not like you suddenly have grip or you suddenly have none. So, yeah, true. So true. the thing is that a car, as it gets, it's, it gets faster and faster, it's more and more downforce. But you get like the F1 cars with tons and tons of downforce, but they've got to do casino corner in Monaco where downforce is irrelevant mm-hmm. because you better just slow yeah, down a true. lot, you know? Very so, yeah. so it's not an on off switch. That's the big thing to think about. And I would also say what happens is you can feel, feel this on your own car. If you have tires that are, it's gotten really cold and your tires are kind of getting bricks. You'll notice that the grip's not as good. <laughs> or if they've warmed up really well, and they've gotten soft, you know, the grip, they gotten softer and the grips got the way. Really notice is you've hit something. Well, yeah, That's how but, you but also if you're driving along and it's really, really dry and it hasn't rained for a while, this happened in LA a lot. It hasn't rained for a while. It's really, really dry. And it just now starts raining. You can feel the grip change. Nothing else has changed. I'm going the same speeds. I'm driving the same car. This is what happens with variations of downforce and tire grip is that you can feel things changing as they either warm up or the car speeds up or whatever. It's not either mm. have grip, no grip. Mm. All right, Lance Young on Twitter asks, why did Porsche release a four-door EV to compete instead of a sports car EV that has no competition? I hear you, but you have to put on the hat of product planning and business planning because people have to go buy these cars. You have to make sales. And even though it sounds awesome to think, sports car, let's make the electric 911, fine. Uh, You're running into the same problem that Ford has with the Mustang Mach-E. Suddenly okay. using this hallowed name to do what now? You got to ease into that pool. Whereas with a sedan, it's, it exists alongside the Panamera, you've noticed. Yeah. yeah well, if yeah. you don't like the electric four-door, we have a Panamera for you. Yes. And let's be honest. There's a lot of people that are never going to buy a 911. I mean, we have this conversation on the podcast all the time. I need more than two seats. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's the general consensus of people that write into this show, unless they already have a car in their garage that has more than more than two seats. They have the four up already, and now they can buy the two-seater. So you limit, even more you limit your potential buyer by making a sports car only, even though we would all like that. Yeah, agreed, but agreed. Anyway, Paul Cavanaugh has an interesting question I want to unpack for a second. He's asking TV strategy questions. And this oh. is not hard and fast, Paul, but I'm going to answer this as best I can. You're saying... You're trying to get inside our headspace, and so you're saying, what do we think would make a better upcoming episode of the TV show? Bronco versus Wrangler versus Jimny, oh, the little Suzuki. Oh, that's interesting, or actually. Or Bronco versus Wrangler versus the Polaris Razor, which is not even a car. It's the off-road big UTV thing, right? Right, right. He's saying, which one is better? Paul, I'm going to say that I don't like either of those for different reasons, but let me explain. The thing about the Razor is you could have a discussion with the Bronco and the Wrangler versus the Razor about how capable is it because, of course, the Razor shines in a place like Moab. It's its its, its home base, but you can't drive it there and drive it home, Okay, really. 
Okay. okay. Some of them are quote unquote street legal, but not for the four hours it'll take you to get to Moab. So there's that. So it's, it's a bit of a weird comparison to do the razor because all you can do is talk about off-road prowess. Now you could use the razor as a reference point, but it's not a shopping discussion. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because yeah, if you're going to buy yeah. the full-on off-roader like the razor and you're going to take it in a trailer, you're not shopping Wrangler or Bronco. Okay, okay but it could okay. be used as, a, as like a reference point and go, here's what it could do. How do the trucks do? The trucks that you can drive here and drive home, how do they do compared to the Razor when you get it off-road? You could use it as reference, but it's not a, like a shopping comparo. The Jimny is problematic for similar reasons, and that is the Bronco and Wrangler cost about the same. The Jimny is now the super cheap variant because they don't really make them and you can't really get Which them and they're tiny. Which is a comparison because of how it could perform. Exactly. So, so where, it, where it works is, you again, you're using the Jimny as a reference point. Mm-hmm. You're going, here's the two big boys that cost 50, 60 grand, or a Jimny for 10 How'd we do? Right. You bring right. a Suzuki Samurai. Bring an old, you know, a, a $10,000 off-roader of choice. Bring sure. that. Sure. And now you have a discussion of how close did we get. <laughs> but again, now that's now it's a discussion that takes the Razor took capability as a reference. The Jimny took price as a reference. How much of the big boy's usability can I get by spending ten grand? That's the way to make them. The, so – Either of them could work, but you have to kind of set it up in those regards. What we have actually talked about is Bronco versus Wrangler versus the new Defender. Mm -hmm. They're all available brand new. They're all in a similar price point. It doesn't mean that your versions couldn't work, but you see how if we're going to have a straight up, the two of us standing by three cars at the end, we're not shopping for which one of these three would you get if the Jimny or the Razor are there. But if the Defender and the Bronco and the Wrangler are there, now we're going, which of these three do we like the best? P N W M A Z D H A. It's it's a string of numbers. It's fine. Um, yeah. Lots of confidence. It's going to be good. I'm not sure what that is. Which supercar, hypercar, do we think is the finest piece of art? And I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I'm a foregone I, conclusion. Here. I know what you're going to say, as a matter of fact, which I do agree, and that is the Jaguar XJ220. No, for art. For art. Pagani Huayra. You think the Pagani Huayra is better than... It's, artistically it's, than it's the Jag. It's better art than the Jag. Yeah. You do? Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, I, I thought I had I thought I called it. I I think it's by far the better. What? Mm-hmm. I also think beyond that, I also think that the the I'm, XJ what? sorry to sorry to baffle you. XJ220. The XJ220 is awesome. It's Obviously I love gorge. it. I love it. It's amazing when you see it in like the GT race spec, it's perfect. Yeah. But the problem is it's a it's just shape. It's a nice shape, but it's just shape. It doesn't really do anything fantastic. I like it because of that. I like the I speed form shape yeah. of it. It doesn't do anything fantastic in its outer shape. And then you crack the door and you go, oh, oh, that was from the 80s. Well, yeah, okay? but you, you don't whereas, crack the door. Whereas the Pagani Waira has a fascinating shape with a lot of weird things that go on. And it still makes a really good shape. And then you crack the door. And I honestly think that's one of those rare interiors that in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years is still going to be an interesting interior. Okay, it's gaudy is the wrong word. It uh, might be the right word, but I still think it's awesome. Yeah, interesting. It's, wow, it's, it's very look at me. Yeah. But there's no cracking the the door. Art means the car Fine. is on the wall up high. Okay. in your warehouse, and you just look at it from see, but thirty oh, feet away. I can't, That's I can't just art. look. But I take it. You cannot crack the door because that that <laughs> okay that makes it all bad. I'm thinking Carrera GT. I think that's a beautiful shape. I love the McLaren F1. But I'm the Jaguar XG, XJ220 just as the the okay. speed form clean lines. Yeah. But to be honest, I want to go backwards because all the 30s Mercedes, all those streamlined, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, oh, I love those cars, but they're not the supercar hypercars. I'm not going to say Koenigsegg. They're awesome. I want one. They're not pretty. Mm. They're striking. Yeah. But I wouldn't call them pretty. They're interesting. Cajun Michael has a handling and design question. He's always heard, and, and look, there's many cars that brag it. Let's bring up the Miata. Let's bring up the Honda S2000, others. 50-50 weight distribution as being the ultimate. Okay? But he also hears that mid-engine cars are great. We love them. But most mid-engine cars, and you're right, my Lotus is a great example. My Lotus is about 60% rear. Okay. It's actually okay. a little more than 60. Okay. So his question is, what's, what's going on here? Why is 50-50 prized, but then the mid-engine cars can get away with it not being anything close to 50-50 in it toward the rear? Yes, you're absolutely right. 50-50 is great because it's docile. Okay? Right. A, a right. Miata with a driver is 50-50. That is really well thought out. That makes a car that rotates well 
and isn't going to do weird snappy things. My Lotus will do weird snappy things. It will. It, it will. will. If you yep, get too sure. far to the edge, it will snap at you. Sure. So this is the nice thing about 50-50. Ultimately, what you want is you want the primary sources of weight, the engine and the bodies, between the axles. A mid-engine car does do that. Yeah. So yeah. that creates a lot of rotation. And because it doesn't have weight over the front wheels, it gives you a lot of steering feel. That is difficult to get with a front engine car. Right, so that's right. the trade off is you end up with, and, and look, think about the new C8. By taking the engine to the rear, they got better traction for all their newfound power. Yeah. And then bonus, yeah. you have better steering feel theoretically because the front end is lighter. These are the benefits of mid engine. The downside is if you really overcook it, it can do a little spinny thing, which is why most mid engines are set up from the factory with a little bit of understeer. The Mike Jones double zero. Says his 18-year-old daughter's first car is getting to the point where it's going to be hitting the highway to heaven pretty soon. She is very attached and not ready to see it go. Are there any recommendations for her Mm. on how to say goodbye? Yes, indeed. And that is create a video. Oh, okay. With simple iMovie kind of stuff. How about all the clips from the road trips and things? You Mm. know she's Mm. got in-car footage from somewhere. Mm. With friends taken in the car. Just her driving, just go shoot a little video with her yeah, and just talking not? about the car and create just something that's just for her to watch later. It's the keepsake of, of all the experiences. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's more about having, and you can put photos in there. You sure, can, yeah, yeah. You know, from whatever, her with the car, that kind of thing. But just a little video, throw the clips together, throw some photos in there and have fun creating it together, to be that's honest. That's cool. I like that. That's just, really good. Yeah, I think that would be, you know, that will allow her to say, all right, I've, I've got it. I've got moving pictures of mm-hmm. my car not just photos i've got yeah. you know this the as much as you can go before smells <laughs> i like you know it that's I mean? good yeah it's totally good and then that's excellent you know you've got that video for for later and then she can let it go and move on to other cool things in her life well and there's also the other part of the equation which is um is she getting another one because if she gets the new if she gets a new car <laughs> before she sells this one that will help too. I, I hate. I'm That's not true. saying that that financially may be the way to go, but if you have the That's new true. shiny object, even if it's a used car, that also helps the transition. And then I thought about exactly what you're saying. I was scrolling back on my phone the other day, looking for a photo from a while back, and I came across all the photos I took of my son, mm. the three or four days before we sold the FRS. Oh, and I took yeah, him out cool. for a drive because he loved that car. We just took him out for a drive, took photos of him in it and around it. And that placed what you're saying with the video. That's a really good idea. Just, you know, you don't have to be an editor or anything, no, but just, just the simple yeah, filmmaking sure. tools, do something like that. All right. Last question here. Thomas G22 asked me if I would pressure wash my car or only use a hose. Well, let me put it this way. I pressure washed the Maserati to get the salt off. Yeah. But it's the Maserati. Yeah. And it was salt. And it was, <laughs> it was a lot of, it was like cement. <laughs> Because it had rained out there in some places and we still hit some kind of goopy, mushy salt yeah. that then sticks to everything, your shoes, your pants, mm-hmm. your, everything. And it just it turns into cement. So, yeah, I did use it, but it's the Maserati. <laughs> Otherwise, I only use the pressure washer on wheels and undercarriage and that's it. I only use the hose on paint and glass and that kind of thing. If you haven't seen already, Paul has his one bucket method YouTube video out there, and it's amazing because there's just a lot of hose work is really what happens. And I get to make fun of him, which is also just really fun. Pretty much. Guys, thank you for all your questions. Really appreciate it. And we're definitely looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.